Good evening and good afternoon, etc. This evening's Dharma talk is titled, didn't I say walk between? Yes, walk between the thoughts. So it's like trees. The thoughts arise. Uh, you don't have to go in and engage with those thoughts and wrestle with them and expand on them and deliberate on them. They are, they are real in that they appear, and they are unreal in that they are dependently written. They are insubstantial, no matter how they feel, no matter how that particular dynamic, that story that's arising in your mind stream. It's there, so we, we don't want to shut down it, on it and ignore it, but also we don't necessarily want to um, somehow validate it or make it our reference point for whatever is happening at any given moment in our life. So you can, you can experiment with this a little bit on the cushion, sit down, hold still, watch the way the, the thoughts arise in your mind stream, and look at the spaciousness around the thoughts rather than this must mean that, or this must mean that, mean that. Taking the thoughts and trying to stop them, or taking the thoughts and trying to stretch them, or add thoughts on that make this particular thought pattern or this a story that is arising less real, or to make it more substantial, or to turn it into something that is more, what, workable. Just walk between them. This is not particularly ignoring them. Ignoring them would be like no trees at all or distracting yourself into rose bushes. <clears throat> so, you know, it's just a way of talking about it. I give the same Dharma talk over and over again with different names, as some, of, some people have. Some, some of my more brilliant students have pointed out. Ones who are extremely erudite and see every mistake I made. They're no longer students anymore. They went away. <clears throat> but if what I'm saying, if you can use what I'm saying as a, as a way of working with your thought patterns so that you don't either push them away, aggression, you don't explain them, um, justify them, condemn them, evaluate them, modify them, project all kinds of ideas on them to, that makes them particularly more palatable, acceptable or modifies them in su such a way that the sharp edges are not as difficult. That's, that's all I'm saying is work with us in such a way that you attend to us, uh, are aware of the spaciousness around thought patterns. No nothing occurs as a phenomenon, as a thing or an item or a thought without some kind of space around it. Sometimes this could be awareness of what is arising. Way of talking about it. it's a difficult area to turn into words without getting hooked by our concepts of true and untrue, right and wrong, and so on. So it is about taking an attitude uh, in our meditation practice, in our life for that matter, that is one of seeing, acknowledging the incredible openness and spaciousness around everything. Even difficult situation that, that is arising that triggers anger or jealousy or resentment or envy or whatever it may be, 
rises up. There's, there's a great amount of space there in that, around that experience that is arising. This is what's being recommended. And also, if you see that whatever is arising, that you are not able to do that, that you're starting to clamp down or go into, you could say kind of compulsively or like a knee jerk, just go in and here I go again. I just, that keeps haunting me, bothering me. Some kind of anxiety or something. It really doesn't have any strong description. No real thought companions around it to let you know what it is, to give it some kind of a credential that validates it. It's just an extreme feeling of difficulty. Sometimes this shows up in a mind stream in such a way that the only word that really applies at all is uh, depression, possibly anxiety if there's a lot of agitation going on. So you can also see the space around the warfare, around the conflict, around taking something and trying to turn it in such a way that it doesn't bother us, or take some something and add to it a lot of ideas, evaluations, judgments about that, that hopefully would ease that intensity or that of the prickliness of that particular experience that you're going through. This is why the instruction, when you sit down to face the wall, just observe, just receive. And this helps, this trains us over a period of time to not only receive our own thought forms that come and go without looking to separate into just good thoughts or just positive or just, just, just some kind of control but to actually relate to the world in terms of our mind. So that when we get off the cushion in what's often called post-meditation or, excuse me, your everyday life, that you're able to do something very similar. You're able to receive whatever shows up in the form of other people and their difficulty, other people and their difficulty with you. Just receive more warfare. And even the warfare, uh, if that begins to show up spontaneously, don't meddle with that. Don't go to war with the war. So walk through the trees, walk through the thoughts. You're walking, you don't run into the trees. You don't run into the thoughts. You, you walk in the space in which they're occurring. So your movement is in that space. You're acknowledging the spaciousness. Metaphor only goes so far, of course, but it's, it's being in that spaciousness that allows something like thoughts or trees or anything else to even show up as a singularity, as a tree or as a thought about uh, what somebody, how somebody's treating you or a thought about how you can't quite understand something in the way other people seem to be able to understand it. So the idea here is that it is about seeing the spaciousness, the interval, the way that that shows up in your mind stream as interval. Quite often it shows up as not having a clue about anything. Uh, ego mind does not like that, doesn't want anyone to know that, doesn't want it to be re, uh, reinforced by other people knowing that you're lost in space or you don't know what to do next. <clears throat> and of course the downside of that is just, we don't know, we aren't sure what to do. We are tentative, we are, lost. The upside of that is this is how it begins to feel as we work with the self-centered aspect of the mind, the mind that wants control, wants to be right, does not want to look bad, 
does not want anyone else to see you and judge you because of your lack of what understanding or confidence. Get on the list. Happy to take some questions if you have them. I can also continue. But I must be making myself very clear. There's no questions. Or you just want to see how far I can go without questions. Yes. When you're bowing, I, I think you said um, at the beginning that as thoughts arise, you don't have to engage in them. Yes. So if we have no control over the thoughts arising, how can we not engage bowing? <clears throat> so receive the thought, receive the thought itself, and be aware of the space in which the thought arises, because the space was there before the thought rose, and it will be there after the thought has subsided. The space doesn't do anything. And their consciousness, uh, thoughts, uh, thoughts are not aware. We're aware of thoughts, but as soon as we become aware of thoughts, then the, the consciousness gets submerged into the thought. And then, that's, that, then that connects with the, the apparent identity of the one who's doing the thinking, the one who's feeling how I feel about this or how I feel or what I think about that or this, the identity that is unreal yet seems very authentic, seems very real, and seems to be necessary in order to protect us from whatever, the unknown threats and so on. So when thoughts arise, there's other teaching, there's another teaching that says label thoughts and return to the breath. So I practiced that many years and taught it for many, many years. Um, I'm not against that. If you want to do Shamana Vashna, you should go ahead and do it. I just feel that this is a more direct way. This is actually a Shamatha and Vipassana together. Space, no space. No. Oh, no do, do we pay attention to the content or the context of the thought? Whatever, however it arises, don't shut down on anything. If it arises and you notice you start to go into to some kind, something about the context, what was the other word? Was that content. The content, just look at it. No turning away, no turning towards, and no shutting down. And the way we do that is you sit down and you just open the doors. Let let the mind stream. You're not really letting it you're, so much as you're just not obstructing it. You're sitting down, you're holding still, and your, your intention is to observe what continues. And maybe when you first start meditating, not much happens. You're just looking at the wall, kind of boring. You're maybe hearing some noise behind you of someone else in down the hall or in the same building or out on the street. You just receive that. Then uh, eventually the mind starts showing up different kinds of daydreams or fantasies or imaginations about whatever plans that you have to or get your taxes done or, or what you need to say to your neighbor when they show up again about some something you're both having problems with. And any kind of discursive thought, just observe that thought. Don't, don't um, try to push that away or label it thinking and, and create some kind of artificial meditator. <clears throat> A lot of teachers will disagree with this. I don't mind. They can disagree. They probably have students that are doing what they say. I'm coming out of my experience of doing it for decades and decades and teaching it. And this seems to be the best approach. Is less is better. Sit down, hold still, watch. And what arises in 
with uh, Uno or, or uh, a Juzon or you or, or anyone else or with me, it's going to have its own particular personal dynamic, depending on you, your karma, how you're wired, what you've been dealing with for the last hundred years or so. And so every moment is going to be a slightly different you know, through contrast more. Um, when I'm observing the thought, even though I'm not pushing on it or pulling it or ignoring it, I'm observing it. There isn't any space or any opportunity to observe the space around it because my attention is completely drawn towards the uh, thought. Uh, I'm not, like I said, pushing, pulling, but I'm still observing it. So when, when does the observation or the attention to the space around it, how does that come about? It's already, it's, the way you describe it, it's already happening. That you have a, you, your understanding of space is conceptual. So you're conceptualizing space. But the way you describe it, you're, you're doing it. It just is not showing up as spaciousness at this point. It's, it's your particular style. Just everyone is going to experience this differently. Some people, it's just too much space. There's too much. You don't have that issue. Not that it's an issue. It's just that your style is, you think about everything. <clears throat> Am I correct? Yes. And not that other people don't think a lot also, but there's some people have more spaciousness. That doesn't mean they're ahead of you or ahead of me or... <clears throat> Some have are closer to Buddha nature or something. Just different styles, different ways of relating to the thought, to uh, the mind stream, and to passion, aggression, ignorance. It shows up differently with each person. Shuzan. Shuzan Bang, does the space eventually show up like conceptual space? Which one? Shuzan Bang, I think you said to Chi Show that the space isn't showing up to him like that currently. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if what you're saying he's, he is seeing as space but doesn't look like space eventually looks like space. It, it may or it may not may not have to do that at all. As a, when I talk about space, it's the concept of space. So and then when I talk about that, then that triggers in you or in me or anyone a, a different understanding of what space is. And we all are very sure about what our understanding is. It might change, but right now. If I say the space in which things occur, each person has a different way of relating to that, about how that is with you personally or with me. What is space? It's, it's, uh, it's known by what arises in it. If there's nothing arising in it, there isn't any space. Is there space when we're buying into what's arising? Yeah, or otherwise you wouldn't know you're buying in. It's the, it's the space that knows. We're not, I'm not trying to personify space, but I'm saying it's the spaciousness that has the knowing part. Thoughts don't, thoughts don't, uh, uh, a thought isn't, one thought is not aware of another thought. Jun if nothing is separate, how can there be space around? something because it's an illusion the separation is an illusion and one of the ways it shows up is things in space stars planets thoughts physical space 
psychological space, emotional space. If we see not separate, does is there space then? Yes. But even not separate, if you see not separate, the very determinant of the very description called not separate, that also goes away. That's a teaching device. It's not fruition. What would the space look like if we see not separate? Wouldn't be any space. Is that funny? I don't know. I'm getting lost in my own. That's the idea. That's the idea. Getting lost in your own questions and answers. Is that what you said? You could have said getting lost in your own answers and questions. Would that have helped? No, no. Wouldn't it? Other questions? No. What is the difference between awareness and space? Oh, we can get very wordy about that and talk about it, uh, but uh, it's it's there's awareness has an intention there's an intention about that situation which which produces uh, objects or acknowledges some kind of objectification of otherness that is showing up as thoughts or emotions he show teacher bowing uh while i like i said before i struggle with that space but one taste works for me uh is that equivalent to observing the space one taste? Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, one taste is a, it's a very relative statement, but it, it, it's a way, uh, was it Rochig? Is that Rochig? Rochig. Rochig. Rochik. I just, just corrected. It's Rochik. <laughs> but yes, that's a way of using a very relative, you know, one of the senses, tasting. It's just one flavor. That's a way of, of addressing through that particular sense, one touch, one act samadhi, one, just one, just as a oneness that we don't want to go to the one because then it's too easy for the ego to congeal around that and say, I understand oneness. There's no way to do that. But if you say one taste, then you're relating to a, an area of consciousness that doesn't have conventional ideas in the way, uh, in other words, uh, the taste buds don't really think but they sense, they sense that apparent otherness and that otherness begins to, in terms of the mind stream, begins, begins to be one situation. Everywhere you look, you don't see anything else. You see the differentiation, you see the desire comes and goes, it does whatever it wants, but you don't fundamentally see something else. So therefore it's one taste. It is probably because it, it goes into the sense fields rather than stays in the thought area that you actually taste. And so you can, you can see how everything could taste the same. One flavor. Further questions? Is there any fundamental difference between thoughts and the space in which they arise? Ultimately, no. But relatively, it's path. We look at the path. We look at what arises in the space. And we don't accept it, reject it, or look away. That's the path. But fruition is uh, is fundamentally not separate. So space and phenomena are not separated anymore. Not separate. Excuse me, Keelan. Keelan Bowie. 
Are there thought halfway measures? Um, what, what is it you want to know? If a thought arises and I say, I don't really, you know, and I know where it's going and I kind of slow it down through that not liking or liking or is that is that a kind of way to work with it, like a halfway measure? It could be. I'm not totally clear on what you're asking about, but it sounds like you're picking up on something that's starting to occur and before its momentum starts up, you take away its fuel. Something like that. Um, keen volume, it, it's like I catch it and then I might not be able to stop it, but I can kind of ride it, sort of. Okay. Is that, is that a could, way of working with? I, I won't disagree with you. Okay. I won't necessarily agree because I'm not sure exactly what you're describing, but I don't know. I don't understand enough about what you're saying. Human mind. Another way I was thinking of is, is if a um, feeling comes up, and I know it's a feeling, but then jump into a thought. Um, is there a halfway measure, or can I can I work with it in that manner? Just I'll eventually see see that for what it is without <clears throat> jumping to the thought part. Perhaps. I'm still not clear on what it is you're describing. But you're a particularly confusing person. <laughs> not only to me, but probably to yourself. <laughs> oh. We could talk more about that, or you can get you can clarify what you're asking me. You're using the idea of halfway, a teaching that I've given on occasion of halfway measures. Yeah. I'm you, wondering if there's a way to apply it. Um, or if what, I, if what I'm describing looks like. I think so. Like that. If, you're, if you're using the, my teaching of halfway measures, just simply is, is look, instead of seeing this, and then suddenly seeing this, look at this. Halfway. 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 So it's an awareness practice, not a conclusion practice. Nothing may arise out of that as some kind of insight about the space between two, two situations, the beginning of it and the end of it. But there's something, something, about, uh, uh, something about the nature of phenomena moving in space, whether it's in the, th the mind stream, the thoughts, and uh, the actual occurrence of beginning and ending starts to show up. <clears throat> Like, like the momentariness, a, a word that doesn't really describe, uh, do anything but describe how it looks. It doesn't describe how it is. Descri it appears momentary. Other questions? Jesus, I'm buying. Sometimes I might give you my commentary of something that's showing up for me, and you'll say that's awareness. I do. How is that content awareness? What content? Whatever I'm describing to you. You're just describing something and I'm telling you the most important thing about what you just said is the awareness of it, not the content. What shows up in the mind stream is going to be thoughts of this, thoughts of that. I like it, I don't like it, it's good, it's bad, that shouldn't be, they shouldn't be doing that, she shouldn't have said that. When she said that, I should have said this. When they did this, I should have stopped them. Or I should do more of this, they should do more of this. All the commentary, and that's what I'm addressing as far as I recall. When you start, I can tell that you're getting into the structure of the thought about something. 
and it might be con uh, concerning you. And it's not that we're not trying to get away from the necessity possibly, possibly to work with what you've just described. But the most important thing about that, what you're describing, is your awareness of it. You're very, very aware of that dynamic happening. Uh, and the awareness is getting submerged into the content itself. When the awareness itself is is that uh, relative way of talking about this appreciation, to really appreciate what uh, not only what arises in the situation, but the spaciousness within which that shows up. Then we begin to see the uh, relative and ultimate value of everything, sometimes called sacred world or basic goodness. There's nothing to fix. Sure looks like it sometimes, though. What is the structure of the thought? I, know, I think they're made with, I think that half of them are pretzels and the other half are pickup sticks that have not been picked up. And those are blended together and they, they just have the illusion of being food. It's not. Is that helpful? Don't lie to me. <laughs> not helpful at all. So how would you, how would you, you're dealing with thoughts all the time. How would you describe a thought? What's the structure of a thought? What's the underbelly of a thought? Do we know what a thought is fundamentally? If we begin to look closely at the voice that's producing out of a kind of set of thought patterns, if we begin to look at that, we see that it's, it's a very complicated structure from the point of trying to find out some kind of fundamental identity of what it is. We kind of know what it does. It gets in our way. It bugs us or it hassles us or it allows us to, to reconstruct something that was constructed in a way that wasn't workable. We were able to think about that and do that differently. Just like a good example that comes to mind just because we've been thinking about it, talking about it, was the plumbing. Uh, in Karma House and how to how to work with that that plumbing situation and then the stairwell that Takado just built in the, or is in the middle of working on in Karma Lane how how to do that how to think about that in a way so you're already thinking about how it is and what's what's the space you have there and then you think about how to put that together those are just very pragmatic thought patterns but we do we tend to do the same thing in our mind we tend to try to work with thoughts in that same way as if they had some kind of dimension dimensionality to them like lumber or but they don't they don't they're they're if you just look at them cock your head like this the whole structure that used to look like a two by four or a two by six or something like that is it just changes into something else that's why it's so necessary to just receive what that is so that if you do endeavor to do something with it in terms of production product producing a commentary uh, on something somebody is doing or saying or respond to somebody that you're doing it with the, the same materials that uh, in the sense of conversation that that person is using rather than come out of it with uh, already preloaded with your concepts, your ideas, your constructs and your beliefs, your opinions and your idea of right and wrong. That is quite often fueled by what belief in a separate self that can win or lose, live or die. I'm sure that was very clear to you, wasn't it? Was it? Helpful. Sir. Sure, bowing. If 
if we're walking between thoughts, will we still see the thoughts? Yes. What is it when we're colliding with thoughts? Using that image, I would say we're, we're at war with something. We're at war with what's showing up in our mind stream or we're at war with whatever the thoughts may represent as far as some situation or some other person. If I'm tuning into what, what you're asking about. The war. We don't like it. We want to fight it. We want to stop it. Kisho. Kisho Bowing. Uh, along the lines of what Shudo was just asking, so a thought comes up, I'm just observing it, and then another thought comes up thereafter. Uh, would I ever know if my if I'm not making thought uh, space as well as a thought? Uh, yeah. Um, the way I understand your question, I would say yes. You you would know, but not in the way of of some kind of conclusion, more in, in the way of seeing the overall dynamic of thoughts arising in space. So having a, a bigger, broader picture, understanding that, that it's not happening to a person, that thoughts are coming and going everywhere all the time. So there, there's no one who's generating. You may, you may be on the receiving end of all kinds of thoughts, but there's no person that is generating that necessarily. That, that that takes some work, takes a while, and it doesn't. It may not necessarily seem like a conclusion, where I am the person who now understands this, whereas before I wasn't wasn't that person. It, there may not be that much of a contrast. It, it may be just something that starts to occur, and you may you may just notice that you're no longer bothered by that. You're no longer confused by that. You may not be able to put it into words if someone asks you about it. You might see something there, but you might have to say, just out of your out of the spaciousness of what is happening in your mind stream, I don't know, I don't know. Rather than fill it in with with concepts, ideas, which you have a tendency to do, you I'm sure you've noticed. Yeah. So you'll you'll stop filling in. Would be a way of saying it. You you you'll have. A, uh, to put it uh, in a strongly relative way, you will have a lot more respect for that aspect of consciousness that is not full of thought forms or ideas or opinions or judgments or or formulas. Being a, being a, a chemist, I can't remember one, uh, either. Augie's the chemical engineer, and you're the chemist, or yeah, mm -hmm. Augie's the chemical. So, no, no, Jisha Boeing, I am also a chemical engineer. Oh, I thought okay. I thought chemistry to engineers and engineering to chemists so that they don't find me out. Well, is there anybody else here that I'm misunderstanding in terms of? <laughs> <laughs> no? Anyone here? Any chemical engineers in here that haven't identified? Yeah. Shoka is a chemical engineer. <laughs> yeah. He just, he drinks a lot. <laughs> uh, water. He drinks a lot of water. So, and, and don't misunderstand, I'm not against uh, any of that science or any, any uh, uh, structural or any working with concepts. I'm, if you just look at the book studies that we study, we are all about, I'm all about studying the concepts. Study them, study them a lot. Study Dogen. We've been studying Dogen for years. Talk about a chemical engineer. What, what an amazing ability to speak out of both sides of his mouth at the same time, relative truth and absolute truth, 
together. Astonishing. And it's a translation out of uh, Japanese. And uh, it just gives you great appreciation for the ability of the translators to be able to do that. Further questions? Should... If, uh, if we're laminated to a thought and we don't see it in that moment, is it important to try to take a step back? It could be that sometimes I say back up a quarter of an inch or something, and all I'm using that kind of an image to to help you just just recede just a little bit and try to look at the whole uh, the whole construction that you're you're presenting to protect you from whatever it is that's coming your way, whatever is occurring in your environment, in your relationships. It's it's kind of a stop stop running into trees step back and see that you're you're running into a tree you're not you're not acknowledging the spaciousness of your mind more how do we take a step back well first take a step forward and sit down and face the wall <coughs> actually go and sit down and face the wall and at that point is where we recede a little bit we step back away and just watch what arises in the mind stream so there's always the, the whole pushing and pulling uh, situation can get difficult or challenging, sometimes it's misunderstood and there's really heavily macho uh, enforced kind of discipline. And sometimes it might be too loose the other way, not enough form at all. Uh, not, uh, I can't think of the name of the woman who was a priest at one point and just decided to do away with all forms, do away with the Buddha, do away with everything and just um, uh, practice with uh, some kind of formless uh, Zen or something. Um, Tony a Packer. You're correct. Tony Packer. You're correct. It was Tony <laughs> Packer. And so I'm not saying that's wrong. There may be some people that's the only way they can practice is to study under Tony Packer. Thank you for that. I've forgotten her name. But, you know, and I don't know. I'm not taking issue with her. Um, she Maybe that's what she felt was best. Maybe she was able to fundamentally help people. Uh, also, the fellow up in uh, you know, Minneapolis that has a uh, has, um, uh, Dharma field. Uh, I think it's the name of the monastery, or the temple, rather. A uh, stu student of uh, Kategori Roshi. Um, and uh, uh, he, instead of have a, a, a human figure, a Buddha figure on his altar, last I was there, maybe it's changed, it just had a big rock. So it's like, you know, I think that for some people, maybe that's necessary to do it that way, but it might be good if you had a representation of someone who, who understood something in the Buddha. So, or not, maybe maybe that's a better way to do it. I, I doubt that we're gonna put a rock on our altar though. A question from Udi in Connecticut. Udi. Is it helpful to use the concept space as a self-identity? Faith? Space. The space. I don't know, I, I, you know, I'm not sure what, what it is your space is a self-identity. I am just space or some kind of mini lecture you're giving yourself. I wouldn't think necessarily. I would say just keep it very simple. Just notice the, the spaciousness that arises in all the sense fields. Uh, it might be better to start out with simple ones like the distance between you and the wall for four hours at a time. Good idea. Look at that space and look at the space that shows up in the mind and the way it immediately gets filled up by uh, chatter of the mind, not wanting this I like this. I don't want that. 
how much time do I have to go? When is the gong going to ring? So are you yawning right in the middle of my response? Uh oh, <laughs> it's contagious. <laughs> we have to need a vaccination for yawns. So everybody's yawning. Anybody yawning out there? Lots of yawns. Oh, was that a, a gasho or a yawn? <laughs> yawning. I usually yawn like this. If you watch me sometimes in a book study, I'll put my hands up like this, which, which was pointed out to me by my my jisha. Said, "I noticed you yawning, but yawning behind your <laughs> laced fingers." Go ahead. Go on. Earlier, you uh, said space around emotions. How do you appreciate space around emotions? Feel the emotion. Don't abandon the emotion for why it's happening, who caused it, who triggered it, or what. Just feel the texture of the emotion, and you'll see the space. But you will not see the space if you add on all of the concoctions about the emotion, because that fills up all the space around it. So it doesn't have its own presence, its own singularity. Just this feeling of, of whatever, grief or dread. Or, or just uh, anxiety of some kind. Just feel the texture of that, as if it is, as if it's as if when something arises, as if you, you didn't care whether it ever left. If it, you could be anxious from now on, this is called compassion. It has to start with you. If you do compassion out here, as they're trying to be a compassionate person, <coughs> this is uh, I don't know what technical word is used, but it's just basically bullshit. It's not compassion. It's pretending. It's wanting to be a compassionate person, uh, look like one, appear like one to yourself and to others, rather than actually fundamentally being compassionate. If you're fundamentally compassionate, it won't be an emotion. It won't be emotional necessarily. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't help people or address situations where there's difficulties where you would step in and fundamentally help somebody. That wouldn't be necessarily abandoning the feeling. Go ahead. Is there a way to kind of have more airtime with the emotion? I just feel like it's abandoned quickly often. So that's that's awareness though. Just watch it, watch it become abandoned rather than try to trap it so it doesn't get abandoned. It's about awareness of, of abandoning. When I say don't abandon it, I know you can't help it. When I say don't do this, don't do this, don't add, don't subtract, don't divide, I can't help doing that. But if I say that, that brings your awareness or anybody's awareness more into how much when something happens, we add on a commentary or we if something happens, we we judge it or we judge it before we really receive what that is and see clearly, deeply what that is. We jump to a conclusion about it or, or re, refer to a conditioned standard, sometimes called an opinion about that kind of situation. We move into the standard about it. But if I say don't don't do the math, then your awareness is going to be more about how much you keep objecting to agreeing with and ignoring whatever arises in your mind stream or your environment. And over time, that awareness is what it's what begins to turn the whole thing around in such a way that you could fundamentally stop separating yourself from your world out of fear or hope. But sir, how shambling? Um, how do we? Uh observe the emotion or the thought and see the space from inside the emotion or the thought. Um, the emotion is the 
just see the emotion without pushing, pulling, or shutting down, and then the spaciousness is there. Um, is there a way to do that without getting carried along the stream? Getting carried along the stream is is the space. You're gonna. It's gonna. It's a. It's a failure. No success story. There's no way to do this. So, oh, I'm finally starting to get it. Probably not going to happen. More? No, that's very disappointing. <laughs> oh, good. Then I succeeded. <laughs> you too. A question from Benjamin Swordout in Florida. Benjamin. What is there to walk on between thoughts? What is the space there? Is that space empty? The way you asked the question, yes. The way it's the way it sounds, yeah. It's just you just uh, the, I, we're just using a metaphor for walking through a woods. You're not going to walk into the trees. I'm just using that as a kind of an obvious, at least to me. Just walk between the thoughts. There's, there's a lot of space there. Look at the thoughts in that way. The thoughts arise. We don't even know what they are. We just know that there's some quality of consciousness that shrinks down into a pattern that uh, is for, against, or about, or we're shutting down, or ignoring, or interpreting something and freezes the whole thing up, called fixation. And the, the consciousness is able to do that. Instead of just using the thoughts to figure out how to build a stairway, like we were talking about earlier, instead we use that structure to torture ourselves and torture others and try to get ahead and not fall behind and have a materialistic attitude of some kind of gaining idea about everything. Jake Bowing? Yes, go ahead. Um, sometimes you say you don't use we are all one. You Instead you say not separate. What is the difference? Or why do you use not separate, Bowing? Not separate, uh, you, not separate uh, it flies in the face of the obvious separation of everything. Everything is obviously separated. And I say in the, not, in the separation, we're not separate. Whereas we say we're all one is a, is a very tasty morsel for ego. Ego can say that and just say, well, we're all one. We're all, we're all, we're all one. And it's kind of a idealistic approach to it. So, well, we're all one, so we don't have to worry about that anymore. Or we're all, all religions lead to the same uh, conclusion, maybe. Yes, Jake Boeing. Uh, not separate still to me seems to imply that something exists. Um, well, something does exist. It isn't what you think it is. <laughs> Go ahead. What, it, what is it? Buddha nature. You have to say something, so I'm going to say that. You could say Tathagata Garba. You could say uh, Dharmakaya, you could say. So everything is empty of what we think it is, but it's full of what it is. It's empty of what we think or impute that it is, but it's full. Of, uh, it's incredibly full and radiant of what it is. If you see it, you will have no more questions. There will be no more warfare. There will be no more peace fair. And this doesn't mean that people can push you around either. Another question from Udi says, thank you for the response. The question was coming out of trying to see what I am. Are we the space in which things arise? 
I think that would be appropriate to say that, but it has to be realized, not just a concept about it. I have to realize that. If you realize that, then there isn't anyone. And at the same time, there, is a, there isn't anyone. There's incredible feeling in, in your fingertips. There's an incredible vision of, of color and space and, and time and energy. All of relative truth is, flies up in your face and is radiant and overpowering. But there isn't anyone. There isn't anything other. There's no else. And it's ordinary. There's nothing special at all. Earlier you said that um, observing our thoughts will help us see the sacredness of. I said that. Something along those lines. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I don't remember. I'm not connecting with that statement. But it might have been. I think I used the word sacred. Or basic, basically good. There's nothing to correct, is what I'm saying. Everything is fundamentally as it is. What is necessary, what needs to be there, is there. And and the relative mind, the the materialistic mind, the self-centered mind, the mundane thing of thinking you are a, a body mind complex that can live or die or win or uh, or lose, and all of that relative truth that most of the world is operating on. Um, that has been seen through. And you realize that who you are and what you are far transcends the simple uh, positionality of a, of a human life in a particular time and place. And yet you're still here. You're still here because of what? It's not separate. No, it's not separate from anything, anywhere. You see it. More? Plenty of room for more if you've got it. So it's not sacred opposed to profane. It's relative. It's just fundamentally sacred. Everything is sacred. Everything is basically good. Fundamentally. Any other questions? We can certainly close. It's after nine. You want to? Close that. <clears throat> In the situation of um, the way the world looks now, just wars and climate change and all kinds of difficulties, yes. how, can, how can the sacredness of that be appreciated? First do it in your own mind stream. First just sit down, face the wall, and get to know yourself fundamentally. See the warfare in your own mind stream rather than look out on the world and see the world uh, that is insane. There's a there's a lot of intelligence there, and there's a lot of insanity all mixing it up together, each masquerading as each other. And since we're working in a very relative thing, this big ball of dirt in the middle of nowhere, we, we can't continue to operate this way and have uh, continue to have living beings here. That will come to an end. Maybe, maybe not. Doesn't look real good, does it to you? But the most important thing you can do, or I can do, or anyone can do, my understanding is, my understanding is, is to train your mind to see the truth. So that before your body-mind complex, before, before you die, you know who you are. You have no doubts about it. You are certain. That's, that's what I have to offer you as a Dharma teacher. You're interested in that? I can help you. I can't guarantee anything, but that's what I'm pointing at. A question from Ben Shorkan. James Lowe, the teacher of Zogchen, 
in his video about the four statements of Garab Dorje describes emptiness as stillness and freedom from reaction to the mind's activity. Would you agree? Repeat that again. James Lowe, the teacher of Zogchen, in his video about the four statements of Garab Dorje, describes emptiness as stillness and freedom from reaction to the mind's activity. Would you agree? Sure. Be a good place to close. May there this penetration to all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way. Protect Sokokoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, our Sangha families, friends, and visitors. Heal everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering and fill them with light. If you value the teachings of Sokozan and you would like to support his teaching work and the functions of Sokokoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, which also supports monk and practice residents, please consider giving a donation by visiting our website at Sokokoji.org.